you have to get your work out there, right? However it is you want to. And I know not everybody is super comfortable with networking. Um, and it's not bad because there are so many different ways to do it, right? Somebody might focus, let's say, 100% on social media. I've had multiple huge brands uh, reach out to me and book me and continue to work with me through hashtag, which is unreal, but that's the digital world we live in, right? So even if you are somebody who's not necessarily comfortable with constantly giving out your business card, the beauty of that is if you are a little bit more introverted or if you do prefer you know, just being an online presence, you can consistently just put your work out there digitally and people will take notice if you are consistent and if you are dedicated and if you have quality work. And that's just a tiny bit of what you're about to hear today. Hey, if you haven't met before, I'm Karthik. And I'm here to help you find your mission, grow your business, and stand out in the crowd. Welcome back to the show where I sit down with the best creative thinkers, entrepreneurs, artists who've swam against the tide, faced rejections, fought dragons, to follow their heart to create or start what they believe and should exist. If this is the first time you're tuning into the show, do consider subscribing. Just look for a subscribe button wherever you are listening to the show. In last week's episode, I invited a young 21-year-old entrepreneur who at a very early age of 10 started woodworking and made a business of it since his secondary school. He was then on UK's popular television reality show, Junior Dragon's Den, where he won a bursary too. If you haven't listened to it yet, please make sure you do. You can find the episode at designyourthinking.com slash S2E14. Well, in today's episode, I am super stoked to bring yet another artist, Jasmine Pano. She's a multidisciplinary artist who's been running a successful art business, selling her artwork online worldwide. Based out of Toronto in Canada, she sold over 250 originals and prints internationally. She has a background in corporate marketing and is one of those many hundreds of thousands of people who've read Tim Ferriss's 4-Hour Workweek. Why am I talking about her reading that book? Well, do stay tuned to the interview to know exactly why I said that. If you are an artist or someone who's getting started with your online business, or even offline business, do pay close attention. But before we jump into the episode, a quick word of support. Think about this. Back in the early 2000s, a lot of creative business owners started using MySpace to showcase their work and also grow their businesses. Jim was one of them. But in just a few years, Facebook arrived and a lot of their businesses, including Jim's, found themselves in a deserted place and had to literally start from scratch. Jim lost all his leads, customer contacts and everything else he had going on in, inside of MySpace. Now this is bound to happen when you rent a place like a social media platform to grow your business and brand. Here is something I want you to consider. 
take full control of your business and your brand. Bring all your customers and leads into your own website. And you can do this all by yourself without having to spend thousands of dollars on a web agency. Thrive Membership by Thrive Themes can help you do just that. You can have a website completely from scratch in just a few hours. Thrive Membership comes with a ton of ready-made design templates, lets you collect email addresses and also comes with 11 powerful tools to build your business presence online. And for all of this, you just pay $19 a month, not a penny more. To learn more about Thrive Membership, head over to designyourthinking.com slash thrive. I use this personally and if you have any questions, do drop me an email to hello at designyourthinking.com with Thrive in the subject line and me or my team will be happy to help you get unstuck. Again, the link is designyourthinking.com slash thrive. Okay, dokie, so it's time for us to roll in the episode. Let's the music begin. From the DYT Studios, it's the Design Your Thinking podcast, a show about creators, entrepreneurs, and nonconformists, and the stories behind the decisions they made that completely changed the future of their lives and businesses. And now your host, Karthik. Jasmine, there it's obviously more to your story than uh, what uh, what I said and what you do. So, can you quickly introduce yourself so my listeners know exactly what you do? Absolutely. So, I am a professional artist. Uh, just over a year ago now, actually, I did quit my job. Um, I was working full time in corporate marketing mm. to pursue the arts full time. Um, and since then, it's been quite a journey. It's just you know, been absolutely unreal in the most positive way. Um, my art has been exhibited in some of the biggest museums here in Canada. I've had over 200 prints uh, sold and originals sold mm-hmm. worldwide. Um, and outside of that, I've worked with a few dozen brands that I could have only dreamed of working for before. So it's been amazing. <laughs> Beautiful. I know a, a lot of this happens and then sometimes we end up um, going back and reminiscing over uh, things that led us to what we are today. Childhood days. Now, when I say those words, what do you remember most? uh, And what was life like when you were growing up, Jasmine? Sure. So, um, specific to my art journey, um, one of my most uh, fond and vivid moments uh, were when my grandma and I were sitting on her kitchen table and um, she was teaching me how to fabric paint. So... Mm -hmm. That, I think, was one of the first times I dabbled with art. Um, And another memory that comes to mind was um, back when uh, we lived in a house and there there was a family that lived in our basement as well, um, Indian by culture. And and, uh, we would go down there for movie nights. And on one specific Friday night, um, one of, like I would call her my aunt, um, 
she was drawing on my hand with a toothpick using henna. And I, I just, I found it so fascinating and so mesmerizing. Um, and she, she called herself an amateur, but I, I thought the line work was mm. so beautiful. What kind of uh, drew your attention to small things like that? I think as kids, we go through a lot of these moments where um, things happen around us and to us. But what was that drew your attention to moments like this? You specifically talked about uh, your grandmother and uh, this aunt. What, what, what really makes you remember these e- uh, events vividly? Well, with my grandmother, I had, um, I've always been very close with her. So I guess uh, she was just an influential person and she always took a interest in art herself. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess like, you know, it was easily, it was easy to be influenced by that. Um, and with my aunt, I mean, I think everybody has kind of this innate passion or desire in them that, um, is there as a parent from a young age. So that art was just mm-hmm. a way that it was something that I was always drawn to. And as I grew older, I learned, you know, ways to express that and different techniques to learn. And I kind of branched off from, you know, henna into custom hand-painted shoes into paintings for people into illustrations and my biggest thing that I do now is murals but again I mean right it was definitely a process so uh you know you had these small incidents uh touch you at a very deep level uh, looks like what was Jasmine as a young girl doing those days when you know after these incidents happened did you find yourself doing more of this or were you, were you just like any other kid going and having fun playing? I think I was like any other kid. I was a little bit more on the introverted side. So I did spend a lot of time just kind of quietly drawing. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it was a good balance. <laughs> I was also playing outside and whatnot. So um, again, I mean, like, it's something that I was interested in. It was a hobby that I've always maintained my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um there were times where it was more prominent than not. So I'd say when I was a little younger, it was more prominent in my, in my life to be a little bit more artistic. You know, you'd sit down with pen, uh, paper, and some markers, and you just go go at it. Mm. <laughs> then as I grew older, though, it's, um, it's funny how the narrative around the arts industry um, really started to get to me. And, um, you know, people would say like, oh, well, you're not going to, that's not what you're going to do for the rest of your life. You know, you got to study hard, you got to become something. And art kind of left the picture for a few of those years mm-hmm. in the middle. Um, and it wasn't until actually, I'd say my early 20s that I really rediscovered that passion and went forward with it in an entrepreneurial way. Very interesting. Um, you know, most most often we, most of us around live our lives in, in this quote-unquote factory right we, we go through the motions and just go with the flow there is very less time that we get to reflect upon what drives us what what really keeps us going what really excites you as a person um there are a few things that excite me that's a great question by the way um First and foremost, I think I really want to be a conscious creator in my life. Like you said, I think it's so easy to slip into autopilot. And um, there were lots of things that I really did appreciate working in corporate marketing for a few years. I mean, it was a great way. And I I was able to definitely use a lot of the skills that I learned in corporate marketing and transfer those over into running my own business. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm very grateful for that. But I mean, I did 
I did find that being in that routine of the nine to five, it was so much easier to slip into the autopilot and not notice the small habits, small decisions you were making every day without really thinking about it or considering them. So Mm -hmm. one thing that I really told myself was, you know, when and if I did get out of corporate and when I was really thinking about those things, I didn't necessarily know I was going to go into art. I just knew that (laughs) I was not going to work at a desk for the rest of my life. Mm. And I was going to make something work. Um, I would always tell myself, you know what, like, I'm going to make a life where everything is deliberate. And I remember one time I was journaling and, um, and I think journaling really has helped pave my path through this, Mm -hmm. uh, through my entrepreneurial journey. And again, like making art such a big part of my life, not just as a hobby, but as a full blown business that sustains my lifestyle. Mm -hmm. Um, But what I journaled that day was that I really wanted to be a deliberate person. And I wrote like, if I can have one word describe me in the next two years, I want that word to be deliberate. And I chose that word because, you know, as I said, I I was was so passionate and I still am about just being a conscious creator, just really thinking about what it is and why you're doing it. And if it's aligned with what you want. Mm -hmm. So interesting, right? I mean, um, I... I wish we we all kind of got into such realizations. I think some of us do, but some of us don't. That's the reality. You know, I really like that word deliberate. How do you kind of practice your, you know, being deliberate apart from journaling? So that's an area that I definitely can grow in, and I hope I do continue to grow in that area. But um, part of my uh, self-development journey is, having small practices that make you feel a little bit more aware, a little bit more present. So for example, part of my morning routine includes having tea. And um, I think just slowing down in the morning and having tea is a great way of kind of reflecting on what you want to do that day. And it goes really well hand in hand with the journaling. Um, Outside of that, I think exercise, I mean, movement is medicine. I think that's so important. Um, And the biggest thing, which I think, again, I have so much room for improvement with this, is uh, consistently meditating. I think Mm. when you start to meditate, and especially when you start to do a component of meditation, which is visualization, Mm -hmm. uh, you just in that practice of imagining what could be, you really become crystal clear on what it is that you want and what it is that is there for you. Right. You know, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere I, I, I heard you say, I think one of the videos that I was uh, watching, uh, where you say that a lot of times it's not about the product or what you sell, but about who you are as an individual and what you bring to the table. And I, f- I found that those words coming in from, uh, from someone like you so profound because... Um, you know, I, and I see, and I see, I, I connect the dots to what you're talking about. But kind of, can you give me a sense of, you know, how how you got into this realization? Because so many times we 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 get into the realization without knowing when and how we got into it. Uh, sure. Well, uh, like I said, I mean, self development is huge for me, and uh, I think mindset has everything to do with who you are, what you'll create in your life, um, the level of satisfaction you'll have. Mm -hmm. So that quote that you mentioned, it's one of my favorites. And I always, um, 
I'm always kind of loosely quoting it. I wish mm-hmm. I wrote it down when I first heard it. Um, and I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I read it. I'm not sure if it was on a podcast. But those words stuck with me through the years. And it was something along the lines of, as you said, like, it doesn't matter so much about the product you have. It's about who you are, you know. Whether a business works or not isn't right. always about just what you're selling. It's about who you are and whether you can make that business work. And it's it's more of that the success that you bring to the table as a person and the attributes that you've honed in your personality and how that will translate. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think that's, you know, like pivotal for me. And, um, I, I try to make sure that every single day I'm actively learning. Right. Um, so that could be again, like it could either part of my morning routine is that learning portion. So whether I pick up a book, um, mm-hmm. or I listen to a podcast, I need to make sure that I am planting those seeds in my mind because at the end of the day, you never know what will anchor in your mind, right? So, Mm. you know, as I say, like you are who you surround yourself with. um, And I think the beauty of books and podcasts are you can surround yourself with brilliant people Mm. who plant these like magnificent seeds that basically pay off for the rest of your life. So I I think, again, (laughs) just you really can't understate how important it is. What kind of people were uh, were you surrounded with uh, when you were growing up? Um, I think I've always had the privilege of being around some very intelligent, very ambitious people. Um, even my group of friends, um, like, you know, just the other day, a few of them came over and we were just talking about this, how, you know, we feel all really grateful for having done well for them ourselves, but mm-hmm. we also feel like a part of that success came from having each other, right? Like, we're all ambitious in our own ways and we're all successful in ways where we're really encouraging each other to do well. Um, and I think you really need to have that support system in your life. You know, it, it not even necessarily people who are in your industry, but just people who want better for themselves as right. a basic rule. Of- mm-hmm. So um, when, you know, like you, you make and sell your art today, when was the first time you you came to the realization that, hey, you know what? I should probably be spending more time doing this art than what I uh, traditionally done so far. Sure. Um, so I think the first time I actually successfully sold something <laughs> was mm-hmm. high school. And um, that was on a little website called Etsy. I'm not sure if you're familiar with right. it. but um, And it was really fascinating to me. It was, it was actually an international sale. Uh, somebody from the U.S. bought a pair of hand-painted shoes from me. Mm-hmm. And it was that moment that I realized how amazing the Internet is, how amazing it really is that you can put your artwork out there and somebody can pick it up. And they don't have to live down the street from you. They don't have to live you know, a city away from you, they could live in a different country. And it's just as feasible to sell your art there. So um, that was kind of my first run in. And then I also uh, simultaneously, I mean, I was I was getting pretty good at doing henna. So I started picking up uh, quite a few henna bookings. And um, I spent a few years actually uh, doing henna pretty, pretty frequently, especially in the summertime when it was wedding season here. Right. So, um, and then I remember at one point, again, I was in high school and I was making, you know, like several hundred dollars an evening doing henna. And I also had a part-time job. I was a cashier at a local uh, grocery store. And I remember seeing my paycheck from the grocery store and being like, what is this? You know, like, Mm -hmm. how come I only made 
this much, when I'm making that much doing henna for just a few hours for one evening, and this is my paycheck for, I don't know, two weeks, mm -hmm. right? So it just, it kind of opened up my eyes to this realization that the way we consider money, um, it's, it's so subjective, you know? And it exposed me to this idea that money could be made in larger sums than just the minimum wage or just, you know, a regular salary. And I think, um, I think that was a really addicting feeling. Uh, how old were you when you, when you had your first sale on Etsy? Um, maybe about 15 or, yeah, maybe about 15. You know, when we, when we are 15, 16, uh, when we get money, there are, there, are, there are many ways that I can think of that we would have spent that money. Um, how, how, was, how, how, were your, how was your mind, what was going on in your mind when you made that money? And can you kind of give me a sense of that conversation if you had one with your parents or whoever you were living with at that point in time? Mm -hmm. um, I remember coming back from my henna events. And again, like it's, it's not uncommon, especially in the Indian wedding industry. I'm sure we all know. Mm -hmm that vendors make quite a bit of money. I don't do henna quite as often as anymore just because I, I uh, focus again on my other forms of art. Um, so I'll do it when I have the extra time and a booking comes through. Um, but at the time, like I said, like I was doing it so consistently, so frequently, and um, it was something that was really, really busy during the summers, which worked really well with my school schedule as well. So I would come home and I remember like several times like I would finish a booking and um, I would have just like this envelope of cash. Mm -hmm. I would drive home listening to like, you know, the, like the hottest track on the FM radio and I'd be so like just feeling myself so happy <laughs> and I would come home and like whoever was awake at that time, I would just kind of like count my money with them mm -hmm. and I just, it was it was a thrill. <laughs> So you moved out of your corporate job fairly recently, like to 2017. I did, yeah. Right. And how, mm -hmm. how how did you get to that point when you decided that a nine to five is enough? Um, it really has to happen over time, you know. And I, and I think that's so important for other creatives who are listening because I know when you're creative, you're a passionate person. And when you're a passionate person, it sometimes becomes a little hard to, mm. you know, be patient with things and kind of let things unfold as they will because you you want to hurry that up. And especially when it's as personal as your own craft, mm. it can feel a little demotivating to see when it's a little bit slower. But, um, you know, over over the course of years, I really worked on my mindset so that I could become the type of person whose mentality um, and personality was strong enough that, again, like I, I wasn't even sure that I was going to base my entrepreneurship, my business off of art. Mm. Uh, but it just happens to happen that way. And it's great that it did because it's so in alignment with my talents and my passion. Um, but at the time, I just knew that I wanted to create something of my own. And mm -hmm. it was after years of kind of learning how to do it. Like I remember reading books like The Four Hour Work Week by Tim mm -hmm. Ferriss. And uh, this must have been like four or five years ago, if not more than that. I remember reading it and just thinking how absolutely wild it was that this person built such an incredible lifestyle that was so outside of the narrow path that is conventional. Right. Um, so 
you know, I, I use that as something that motivated me to kind of like get into journaling every day, get into visualization, get into reading. So I knew how to apply those skills when the time uh, time came. And mm. and then on the side, I was incrementally building my art business. So I was, you know, creating a social following. I was putting my art out there. Um, I was getting sales. And mm. at one point, it just... It just so happened that my um, how much I was making off of my art was starting to catch up with my salary, and I decided, like, you know what, pros and cons. There's, I really want that lifestyle. You know, I really want the autonomy. I really want that ability. Like, imagine how much further I could take my art if I dedicated the amount of time I do to my full-time job to my art. Right. So right. that's when it really changed into a side hustle to a full-time gig. I know it's very tough to draw. A line in the sand, so to speak. But you know, so so many of those who are listening to this, including me, have read this book for our work week, and I think it's a unique book and a great book. A full credit to Tim Ferriss on that. But then, not necessarily everyone who has read it has actually become, uh, uh, you know, this entrepreneur or this person who who lives on their own terms. How? What? What were the key things that you think? that you kind of got out of that book and uh, those the, the transformation like you talk about in that video about is who you are what do you mm-hmm. think are are those things that has led you to where you are today uh well first of all i just want to comment on how you said like not everybody gets the same out of the book and i i think that's so true right uh you really get what you're seeking for and um and there's also other like small tricks that I'd really recommend, you know, if anybody's listening and they're they're an avid reader, but they don't always feel like they're retaining the best out of their books. Mm-hmm. I found something that really was a huge game changer for me was when I started writing down notes into um, and at this point, I have several, several books that are just full of notes that I've made from books that I've read. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whenever I read something or I hear something that really leaves an impression on me, I'll make a point to jot it down in my book so that later on I can go back and review it. And I found that, um, and I know I did that with the four hour work week, including a number of other books that have really changed the way I think and, um, uh, changed kind of the way I feel about business as well in the most positive way. But, um, you know, just like keeping those notes on the points that stuck with you the most or the, you know, the words that jumped out at you the most mm-hmm. and viewing it at a later date. I think that is such a key because as we know, like repetition is everything, right? Repetition is how you learn. Um, but, um, but going back to your question, like how I actually implemented those things to make, make myself become the type of person that I wanted to be. Um, some of the qualities that I think I really built from reading these books and uh, learning um, was I think I'm very resilient and I'll I'll have to give myself that because I, I think I can um, I'm not somebody who quits easily I I will try and try and try again until I get it right mm. um, and even in the face of a no I will keep on going and I think that's so important for entrepreneurship you need to be the type of person who can send out let's say 50 emails and if you don't hear back from any of one of them you don't take it personally right like you kind of just keep on moving with full faith that things will materialize right and uh, it's a very important point too because you need to know when to when to listen when to how to read situations like 
to say mm-hmm. the, to take a no as a no or take a no as a, uh, how, how you know how do you end up making those critical judgments yeah no, i can see how that would be a very um you know intimidating judgment call like is this a is this a static no or is this something right. that's a little more flexible um and i i think it's always important to kind of go with your gut feeling and if you are putting in the work to become an entrepreneur if you are if you can undoubtedly say that every single day you know you are working towards becoming that person who can make a successful business regardless of what it is mm-hmm. then you will have already tuned your uh instincts right yeah. and um you know never again never underestimate all of these things and the compound effect. You mm-hmm. might think, okay, well, I just read, let's say, 15 pages today, or I just listened to one podcast, but think about how that adds up over six months, over a year, over three years, right? It really, um, when I, I always encourage people to listen to their gut feeling because, in my opinion, a gut feeling is so much more than just that. It's really mm-hmm. a compilation of everything you've learned up until that moment right. coming at you in an instinct. So, I think you really need to uh, leverage that initial feeling and you also need to, you know, ask yourself, honestly, is this aligned with my goals? And I do, I am somebody who does believe in like manifestation and energy mm-hmm. and the right timing of things. So right. that's going to have to be a personal call for you, but that's something that uh, is pretty reassuring for me. Hey. If you've been listening closely, this conversation is getting deeper as I start to dig deeper into her work, marketing, and so much more. One of our listeners, Emma from Johannesburg, South Africa, wrote to me some time back asking if I could summarize episodes in a way that she can do something with it. So, you know what? I decided to do something about it. After you're done listening to this episode, head over to the show notes to download a copy of Marketing for Artists PDF, where I've listed only the most effective marketing actions you should be taking, or at least consider taking, to make sure your business of art is reaching the right people. This also includes some things Jasmine does, plus some more. You can find this Marketing for Artists PDF at designyourthinking.com slash S2E15. All right, let's get back to the episode. You have sold your art internationally, you you know, right from the Etsy sale, and uh, you also displayed your art in notable places around mm-hmm. Canada, and uh, you managed to get some really good attention from the press as well. How, how do you really manage to get to these places, or rather get these places to notice and take note of your work and you? Yeah, well, uh, the components about working with brands is I think, like I said, like uh, you, you have to send out those emails. You have to, and um, you have to get your work out there, right? However mm-hmm. it is you want to. And I know not everybody is super comfortable with networking. Um, and it's not bad because there are so many different ways to do it, right? Somebody might focus, let's say, 100% on social media. I've had multiple huge brands uh, reach out to me and book me and continue to work with me mm-hmm. through hashtag, which is unreal, but that's the digital world we live in, right? So mm-hmm. even if you are somebody who's not necessarily comfortable with constantly giving out your business card, the beauty of that is if you are a little bit more introverted or if you do prefer 
you know, just being an online presence, you can consistently just put your work out there digitally and people will take notice if you are consistent and if you are dedicated and if you have quality work, right? And always ask yourself, like, never, never allow yourself to play the victim. Never say like, oh, like, how come, you know, nobody's noticing my work. You do need to ask yourself pivotal questions at that point. And I know I have multiple times in my career, like, I've had to ask myself, well, is my social not growing because, you know, people are... (laughs) not paying attention or is it because I can just take my content up a notch and when I did take that full ownership on I noticed a lot more growth and a lot more quality uh, leads and a lot more quality again like brands taking notice Um, Mm -hmm. and I I think it's important to touch upon as well you mentioned the portion about the press Um, when you start doing bigger more prolific uh, jobs. So, for example, I created seven murals for a interactive art pop-up that came mm-hmm. to Toronto recently. They're called Happy Place. Um, they had press um, that was kind of just there. So that was that was a little bit of a privileged situation, right. being able to interact with the press because I was able to leverage their credibility, which was amazing. But then from there, what I decided to do is I said, well, I'm not just going to take this as a moment. I don't want to look back on this two years down the road and say, "Wow, that was that was a fun time." You know, I really want to make this the new norm. Right. Um, so, it's great when you get those opportunities or you get those kind of breakthroughs where you don't have to work too too hard for it. But at the same time, you need to think about like, how can I make this the new norm? How mm. can I set this as kind of like a new level of just where I'm at right now. So what I did was I really capitalized on that moment when I was already getting a few press gigs mm-hmm. and I reached out to other newspapers and other uh, press networks and media networks and I said to them, hey, well, I'm being interviewed by such and such about my artwork here and here are a few upcoming uh, shows that I have, here are a few mm-hmm. upcoming exhibitions, um, love to chat more. and. I think that just the timing of it all worked out Mm. so well. And I think every single person I reached out to said, yeah, let's do it. So I ended up getting maybe two or three times more the press coverage that I would have gotten if I had just said, well, somebody threw me a bone and that's awesome. (laughs) Walk us through this process that uh, you used to work on any project. Now, let me give you a background of that question. We, uh, sure. you know, as creatives, there there is this tendency to get deep into the hole and and into the art and get lost about everything, including what you eat and the world. And and then we come out of this hole one fine day and realize nobody's taking note of what I did. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to understand your end-to-end process when you work on a project, including, you know, right from the moment you get the inspiration hits you quoted you know like how people say till the moment you actually get attention sure well i think this is one of the benefits that i got um from having worked in corporate marketing hmm. it's just that everything that i looked at is through a marketing lens so yes i'm a passionate creative yes i'm an artist um but at the same time i have learned that you can make phenomenal artwork and um that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to make any money out of it because mm-hmm. part of being an artist or part of being, you know, anybody, if you're going to do it 
as a career mm. um, comes down to whether or not you can monetize from it, right? And if you can't, unfortunately, that's not going to be sustainable for you. You're either going to burn out mm. or you're not going to be able to sustain your lifestyle and you're going to have to switch to something else. Um, and that was one thing, you know, when I left corporate, I, I worked really, really hard uh, for months on end just with that in mind that I didn't want to have to go back, you know, at the end right. of the year. I didn't have to want I didn't want to have to go back at the end of six months even or two months. I wanted to create my business in a way that it was going to sustain me. So you got to think long term. And I know um, creatives, myself included, sometimes we get so caught up in whatever project that we're working on. But, you know, little things like, for example, when I'm working on a mural, sometimes I will do 12 hours of painting straight, right, uh, for two or three days in a row. And when I'm doing that, I'm so into the art of creation that I'm not necessarily thinking about, well, hey, like, how am I going to market this at the end? But there are a few just best practices that I've put into place so that mm -hmm. when project is done, I have something that I can market. So, for example, I will bring just my phone and a tripod, right? Something as simple as that, just filming your process. Um, goes a long way because then afterwards I don't just have photos of the finished project uh, product um, I also have full documentation of how I created it the way that I did um, and I think that goes and it attracts so many people it attracts brands because they see your process they find you more trustworthy if they can see exactly how it happened um, it attracts art enthusiasts and other creatives because they love seeing you know other people in their industry and how they do things so right. I think it's important again like um, you can get caught up and that's totally fine but what's amazing with technology today is you can do it simultaneously you can be documenting and creating videos and taking photos while creating your artwork mm. or working on your own specific uh, niche yeah wow that's that's interesting that's a, actually a very important point you know, I'm I'm actually looking at your website at this point, and uh, your portfolio is pretty impressive. And uh, you have so much of variety. Like you said, you do murals, you you do other kinds of custom artwork. Mm -hmm. And I see these two stories here. You have two series called Wildlife Collection and Cheat Codes. Yeah. Can you tell Can you tell us the story behind this Wildlife Collection because it's pretty intriguing and. Uh, it seems to call for attention. Thank you. I'm glad you like it. Um, so the wildlife collection was something that I created, um, I think, January of 2017. I remember it was a few days after New Year's had just passed. And um, I think I was still on vacation. Mm -hmm. I was still working corporate. And I remember I saw a photo with a similar aesthetic. So one thing, you know, as you said, like the wildlife collection is not notable because of its aesthetic. Mm. And I think it stands out to a lot of people because uh, usually we see like more kind of um, like colorful art, more paintings, more like acrylic paintings. And that's what we think of when we mm. think of art. Um, my wildlife collection is predominantly made out of ink on canvas and um, I also I love big art I think scale mm. is so impressive so impressive so a lot of my wildlife collection is four foot tall by three foot wide on mm. canvas um, and I use over 30 patterns from South Asian and African cultures mm. um, that's just another way of making it a little bit more intimate a little bit more um, a little bit more of a bold aesthetic mm. uh, 
so yeah, so it was this this one day, a few days after New Year's in 2017, and um, I saw this photo, and I love the aesthetic so much, the pattern work, mm-hmm. um, and and it was it seemed a little ambitious for me at the time. Like like I said, like there was there was definitely a gap between when I was, you know how how often I was creating art when I was a child, mm-hmm. to when I picked it back up in my early 20s. Um, so it had been some time since I was actually actively creating artwork. Mm. Um, I saw this aesthetic and I said, hell, let's, let's give it a try. So I went to the store, picked up a canvas, and uh, the first artwork that I made in that collection was Sybil the Elephant. Um, oh. And it just got such a huge response. I know I posted on maybe like Facebook and Instagram and I was, I showed a few people and like everybody loved it so much. Right. And I also, I fell in love with the aesthetic. It reminded me a lot of henna art. Mm. Um, as you can see, like the, you know, the patterns on patterns and right. that intricacy is what I admire so much about henna art. You know, like uh, you look at, let's say a bride's hands and you it's just so fascinating that an artist put so much time and detail into the artwork. So that's how I felt about that specific aesthetic that I applied to the wildlife collection as well. And it's really, um, it's really at the intersection of a few things that I love mm-hmm. art, henna, um, animals. I'm a huge animal lover. So mm-hmm. I think it all just, it came together. Yeah. When, when you create your artwork, um, how how do you go? How do you approach them? Do you do you necessarily look for a story that inspires you, and do you try to tell a story through your artwork? How does your mind work? Yeah, that's a loaded question, um, but I will try to answer it the best that I can. Um, I think I draw attention from a few different places. Um, uh, sorry, draw inspiration from a few different places. So specifically with the wildlife collection, um, they all have Greek names, and um, and I really like the blend of you know cultural motives behind it. So like I said, like the South Asian and the African pattern work, the Greek mm-hmm. names. Um, I love the variety, and I I think I think that really appealed to me. So I would pick a name that I thought best encapsulated that animal and best kind of captures human emotions and things that we can relate to as well. Um, so going back to um, Sybil the elephant, mm-hmm. Sybil the elephant, uh, so the word Sybil, um, it means prophetess mm-hmm. in, and that dates back to Greek mythology. Um, but basically like Sybil elevates the room. It's, it's, a, it's a little bit about consciousness. It's a little bit about... Um, like good energy and I was also creating that series of art because I had recently purchased and was living in my house Mm -hmm. and I could not find art that I personally resonated with (laughs) so I decided to create that collection um, kind of on a whim and again just giving it giving it meaning to things that I felt were really important to my life and how I wanted to structure my home going back to the idea of just consciously creating right so mm. uh, that's how that's how that came through but uh, different collections I think demand different uh, motivations so my collection after that cheat codes and it's my current collection that I'm working on so mm-hmm. if if the wildlife collection was very intricate ink mostly black and white and an animal um, animals were its inspiration mm-hmm. 
my cheat codes, um, my cheat codes collection, it's completely different. It's pop art. So it's very colorful, mostly created with acrylic paints again on huge canvases. And what I've chosen to do this time though, is I've chosen to choose, um, characters and cartoons that were very prominent in my own upbringing. So, and I'm sure it resonates with so many people, you know, like if you were born between the 80s to the 2000s, you will like and recognize these characters. And they all mean something different. So um, my first artwork in that series is called Play the Hand You've Been Dealt. Hmm. And what it focuses on, and I chose that name before anything else. So I was kind of brainstorming, I created a notepad on my uh, phone and I was like, all right, what do I want Cheat Codes to be about? So the first thing that I decided on was the name for the series, which was Cheat Codes. And I chose that because I wanted something, I wanted to create a series of art that really captured my love for self-development. So Cheat Codes felt like a great phrase. You know, a lot of people use it for gaming. Um, A lot of people use it, um, you know, kind of like life hacks, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, cheat codes resonated with me because I felt like the term itself was attractive to somebody who wanted to get ahead, right? Like to me, like, uh, for example, like reading, reading to me is life hack. Reading to me is a cheat code. Reading to me is picking up a book that somebody else has put all of their knowledge and experience into, right? Like how that's amazing. That's so incredible. So I chose the name Cheat Codes for that collection, and then I kind of worked backwards. Um, So then I was like, all right, my first piece of art, I want it to be about playing the hand you've been dealt. So everybody has dealt a different hand in their life, different circumstances, different um, upbringing, all of these things, right? right? And um, so the series is really about, and it really showcases characters, again, pop culture, um, cartoons that were really relevant in those few decades and it talks about how like for example Goku versus Vegeta how they're both dealt such similar hands oh sorry that's uh, that's a Dragon Ball Z or a Dragon Ball reference um, yeah how they're both um, how they're both dealt such similar hands like they and it's really about it comes down to their attitude right mm-hmm. so Goku is this person who has such a positive attitude um, and Vegeta, it's almost his downfall about he just, he's a little bitter and he is such a powerful warrior, but at the same time, you know, ultimately his, his attitude is his downfall. And Goku just comes in with so much charisma, so much, such a willingness to learn, such a willingness to become part of community. And uh, I think ultimately that's why he is the hero that he is. Wow. That's that's uh, <laughs> that, that's a nice that's way. Of, a I mean, it looks it looks to me like you try, or it comes naturally to you to actually forge in a little bit of marketing into your artwork itself, because yeah, mm-hmm. marketing in a, in a lot of ways, I think marketing is a is about storytelling. Yeah, one hundred percent, it is, and I think you know I. I was definitely privileged in the way that I was able to work in corporate marketing for some amazing companies for a few years before I decided to do this full time. So, um, but even if you're not, I think the books, you know, it's, it's all about learning and there are so many places where you can learn to put a marketing lens on things and marketing 
it doesn't need to be as intimidating as it might sound to some people. Marketing really just comes down to how you're going to present the product. So you've already created it. You know, it's, it's probably already so fantastic. It just comes down to how you're going to present it. Beautiful. So you've uh, also sold over 2,000 or rather 250 originals and uh, prints of this collection. I went 2,000, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, Hopefully what, soon. Right, absolutely. What did you kind of learn from this experience of selling your art as a collection? Yeah, I've, I've learned so much. And, um, and I think that's why I'm really passionate about talking about it because it was so difficult for me to learn so much. I kid you not, I think it took me about six months just to learn how to properly take something that I had drawn or painted on a piece of paper mm -hmm. and digitize it well enough that I could sell it online. And that's unfortunate because I think that information should be so much more readily available than it is. Right. Um, so one of my um, upcoming endeavors is I will be, and we were talking about this a little a little bit before the show, but I will be creating my own podcast um, called Artist Show Podcast, where I'll be talking about everything that has to do, not just art specifically, but I will predominantly be speaking with artists, full-time artists who are very successful at what they do, but it's really for any entrepreneur, right? And I really want to talk about the intersection of a creative endeavor and marketing and business and how you can combine all of those and how it is necessary to combine all of those for a lucrative business. Beautiful. We'll get to more of that in, in, <laughs> in just a bit. So you've been pretty successful in, in, in so far in the way you've built your career as an artist and a business woman. But success does not just happen, right? We, we need to work towards it every single day. How, how do you kind of set yourself up for success every day, apart from the fact that you sip your tea and do your exercises? I think routine and discipline are the major keys to success for me personally. Um, mm -hmm. Everybody's going to be different, but uh, I do recommend as much as you can put a few good routines into your life and really build up your discipline. Um, it comes down to like, you know, the tea, the working out, the journaling, the meditation, those are all part of my morning routine. And it's these little rituals that really put me on track and they keep me focused on what's important. So they keep me from binge watching Netflix for six mm. hours, which always, you know, good to avoid that. Right. <laughs> and, um, and, and they keep me thinking and I, I every like I said like everybody's different like everybody's gonna have their own thing so I think you really need to experiment and I know my routines for example I've kind of ripped a few pages off of people like Tim Ferriss um, uh, who, Tony Robbins mm -hmm. uh, you know just big players in right. self-development you listen to what they do and the beauty of listening to people who are already successful is you know it works so you just got to find what works for you. Um, and creating these rituals will just keep you consistent. And the discipline portion is really about, um, I'm going to quote somebody and again, I don't remember exactly where it came from because it's just so much, but um, he says something along the lines of, um, I don't negotiate with my mind. I tell my mind what to do and it does it. And I think, 
that's stayed with me over a number of years as well because it's this it's this idea and it's this awareness that there are two parts of your brain um, from a scientific uh, standpoint as well as from kind of more of a spiritual standpoint but there's a part of your brain that's built for survival and that part of your brain is going to tell you just to do the bare minimum you know just just wake up and maybe eat and maybe watch some TV and uh, lounge around and then maybe sleep and have an afternoon nap or something like that. And then there's your higher consciousness brain that actually wants you to be everything that it knows you can be. Mm -hmm. And it's really becoming aware of the dialogue between those two very different parts of your brain. And kind of being able to intercept it, right? And I think that's where meditation comes into play and self-development and all those great things. It's being able to intercept those thoughts, you know, when you're thinking like, you know, I need to finish up that huge art commission, so I need to put in four hours of work today. Right. And then maybe your um, more prim- primitive brain might say to you, well, yeah, we can do that, but first let's watch this amazing movie that is just going to be so hilarious. Um, and it's becoming aware that, it's that's not in your best interest, right? right? Your brain is just really doing the bare minimum at that point. And going back to um, what whoever that amazing person was said, um, don't negotiate. You know, don't say, okay, I'll watch an hour, or okay, we'll watch it now, but tomorrow, tomorrow I'm going to get back to work. It's really about creating the discipline in yourself where you're not negotiating it at all. You're really just saying, this is what I'm going to do, and that's that so true um you know we you're you've obviously done you know quite uh, quite a lot of amazing works of art um, jasmine and i'm sure you. that uh, you you have a handful of projects lined up to work on too as as artists and entrepreneurs we with every project we pick and every decision we kind of uh, make we are kind of building this legacy a body of work so to speak that we end of the day leave behind uh, something that we leave us and I call as a gift to someone who follows us and generations to follow so is there a kind of work that you've always wanted to do that uh, you haven't yet gotten a chance to work on so so far um, I think I what I really want for my artwork is for it to be provocative and not just entertaining hmm. um, and I think a lot of um, a lot of visual artists, you know, whenever whenever you create an artwork, you do kind of come to that um, that fork in the road where you do get to decide, like, is this is this an artwork that is beautiful and simply just that, which is a great thing on its own, mm-hmm. or do you want it to have a little bit more meaning behind it? Do you want it to stir up dialogue? Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, as you're saying about legacy, I think eventually I want to be. I want my art and my business to be at a point where people see my art and it's provocative to the point where it stimulates dialogue around really important issues like social injustice, um, um, self-betterment, kind of like the lifestyle we live today and how that can be better. Right. Um, So I I would love, you know, and that's kind of one of those things that I can't visualize how that's going to look quite yet. (laughs) But I know that I, I'll take my brand there. Beautiful. Um, are are there yeah, are there moments in your career and life that really stand out when you look back 
uh, into this rear view mirror of life? Sure. Um, I think there were a few grants, for example, that I won along the way, like entrepreneurial grants. Um, mm-hmm. And those were really like big for me because it was like a vote of confidence. Um, it was a little bit of validation. I think everybody needs that from time to time. So it was this almost stamp of approval mm-hmm. <laughs> that I was on the right path. Um, so those were re- really pivotal for me. And they really made me think like, I can do this. And you know, I am, I'm worthy of attaining these things that I so admire in other people. Um, and outside of that, there were a few other decisions that I made, even in corporate itself, um, that I just decided that I wasn't going to be fearful anymore. And I was going to believe in abundance and I wasn't going to operate out of a few mindsets. So Mm -hmm. a few of those moments came when I left jobs that I knew weren't right for me but i didn't know what the next move was so those leaps of faith and i i think i have two that come to mind um where seemingly like everybody was saying to me that i have a great job and i I definitely did you know like salary was comfortable the people were good the job was something that i think most people would uh, deem to be conventionally successful but i chose my gut feeling and i chose my own alignment and what I envisioned for myself even if that vision was super blurry at the time I just knew that I just knew that there was different out there for me and when I made those decisions it did really feel like the universe kind of lined up to provide better for me and how do you kind of look at success what does success mean to you success to me means to be to be free Um, success to me, and this is a very personal definition. Um, I've been writing this as one of my affirmations for years, but it's to be free in time and money. Um, so success to me is when I have both an abundance of time and I have an abundance of money. And I'm not, I'm not saying I need billions or anything like that, although I'm sure that would be nice. Um, but I am saying that I want to be successful enough to the point where, I know that I have the time to spare for the things that I love and I have the money to spare for the way that I choose to live. Um, And I kind of like that it's almost a little vague um, because it gives me a little bit room to grow. And I I really hope that for myself. I hope for the rest of my life that I continue to grow and evolve. Nice. You won a grant recently. It's the, I think, the micro project grant. I'm not too sure. From looking at, gleaning at your timeline on Instagram, I just saw this grant show up. Was this the one that you won recently? Yeah. So this was my most uh, recent grant winning. So it was really exciting. Um, I remember I was, um, it was like 2 a.m. one night, and I'm sure I should have been sleeping instead, but. I'm sure as we're all entrepreneurs, we can all relate to the fact that sometimes your mind races and keeps you up at night. Um, But I was thinking to myself, hey, you know, I haven't uh, checked Facebook in a few months, so let me do that. I jumped onto Facebook and lo and behold, one of the first uh, sponsored pieces of content were this grant. Um, I ended up applying that same very night. And and that's something that I'm very um, passionate about. And I I think that comes into my whole portion about discipline. Um, Mm -hmm. When I see something, if I can do it, I will do it right away. Um, And so many amazing things have come out of that urgency. 
Um, and if I can't, then what I'll do is I'll take a screenshot of it and I'll do it, do it at my very next moment that I'm available. Um, so that conveniently ended up being something that I was able to do right away. And a few weeks later, I had a phone interview. Um, it went great. And then I got news that I had won the micro grants. So that was really exciting. And, um, and, nice. uh, yeah. <laughs> and how do you plan to use the, the money? I mean, have, have you planned for it or is, is it something that still in, on the works? Yeah, so um, as I was mentioning earlier, I will be creating a podcast with that that I'm very excited for. Um, along with my application for the grants, uh, they did require a little bit of a proposal. So I did write up my um, my proposal for that. And what I was talking about was this gap um, in the arts industry. And unfortunately, what I found in my experience is the art industry is unlike any other industry, but not in a good way. Um, mm. I'm sure many, many of us can relate and many of us have heard those little comments about like, oh, like, so, so is it a hobby or do you do that full time? And it's funny because I never heard that when I worked in corporate marketing. I never heard that when I had a salary job. Right. Um, and I would definitely deem myself more successful now than I was when I had a salary job. But for some reason, um, some people still view the arts as kind of like a lesser industry. Mm-hmm. And there are a few other gaps that I've observed um, just being, you know, a full-time career artist. So, um, for example, like I, I don't believe the industry is up to up to par with where it should be um, with the digital age, right? So, like, mm-hmm. for example, I speak to so many talented artists and I, I happen to meet them at, let's say, gallery openings or we might be working together on a project. Mm-hmm. And I ask them how their career is going and um, a lot of times they're having a really hard time with marketing or business. Um, so what I've decided to do and part of, as you were mentioning, the legacy portion of my career is to change the narrative around the arts industry. I want for the next generation of artists to have done what I'm doing now, but let's say 10 years earlier than I was able to achieve it. And I would love for that to happen because that would mean that I was able to remove some roadblocks for them mm-hmm. that were there for me. That's that's a very uh, interesting and a lofty goal. And I, I really think it's worthy of a try. So good luck with that. Thank you. I'm sure I'll need it. <laughs> and when I look at your website and look at your artwork, each of these artworks have these three glyphs in the end alongside your names. I, I kind of understand what they are, but then why do you end up putting them every time alongside your signature? I think they make my signature. I feel like even if I didn't sign my name on my artwork, those would be my signature. Um, they mean so much to me. I actually, the three glyphs, um, so they're trying triangular glyphs and um, glyphs were a way of language before language as we know it ever existed. Mm-hmm. Um, so they convey meanings all on their own. Uh, they may look like symbols, but again, uh, each one stands for something. So the first is to challenge. Mm-hmm. The next is to create. And the third is to transform. Um, and a little known fact, or, well, maybe I'm telling more people nowadays, but I actually have that tattooed on myself as well. Um, I, I just, I found it so meaningful, uh, that I, I also got it tattooed, um, because it's not only important to my process of making art, which we talked about a little bit earlier. It's, mm-hmm. um, 
but it is also very important to the way that I live my life and being that conscious creator in my life. Um, so with everything and, um, you know, have, as I mentioned, like wanting to be deliberate, right? Wanting to be, if anybody could describe me in one word, I would want that to be the word. And that process to challenge, to create, and then to transform, it's, it's how I get to being deliberate. It's also how I create my artwork. It's also how I make my decisions on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so first, whatever it is that you're facing or whatever it is, you challenge the status quo, right? So mm -hmm. let's say from creating a new piece of artwork. So when I started my cheat codes collection, First and foremost, I went and I looked up pop art because I knew that was the category of art that I wanted my aesthetic to resemble. Mm -hmm. um, so first and foremost, you look at the status quo and then you challenge it. So you ask yourself, like, how can I do this a little bit different, a little bit better? Uh, mm -hmm. Then you create it. So that's um, it's pretty easily defined, um, you know, however right. it is that you're going to. And uh, lastly, uh, you transform it. So you keep on working at it until it feels like it's complete, until you feel like you're satisfied, until this work of art or that decision or that thing you chose to do that day is exactly a reflection of you at that moment, right? It is the right. best of your ability. Um, so that's what those three glyphs are. Jasmine, this has been a uh, really interesting conversation. Uh, what are things in the future that you have lined up that keeps you excited today? Yeah, the podcast is huge. Okay, maybe right. maybe it's just like the timing of things, but um, that is something that I'm hoping to launch within the next month or two, mm -hmm. uh, because the grant that I did receive it is time sensitive, so mm -hmm. that should be up and running, um, and so that's where a lot of my focus is right now. But outside of that, um, continuing to work on my cheat codes collection, I have a few exhibitions coming up in the next few months. Mm -hmm. um, so I need to have my cheat codes collection, maybe another three or four pieces there by mm -hmm. I think. Uh, about mid-March, uh, so that's definitely going to put a strain on things. Um, <laughs> and along with my current commission uh, schedule, I have a few pretty big murals and whatnot mm -hmm. um, plans. I can't say too much because when I do work with brands and companies, usually they want me to hold off until the release. Right. Um, but those those are just a few uh, high-level things that I have coming up in the immediate next few months. Interesting. So if you had a chance to start your career all over again, what would you do differently? Ooh, very interesting. Um, I think I'd start earlier. I think I had, um, I think I was creating pretty good momentum when I was in high school. Um, and, uh, and I think if I were to go back, I would go back to the time where I kind of let go of it and started and I mean, like, I don't want to be too hard on myself at that time. I did let go of it. I was going to university. I did have, mm -hmm. you know, a full-time job. I was in corporate. It was just a few, few different things happening at that time. Um, but, um, but I think momentum's huge. And I think even if I continued my passion on the side, mm -hmm. I would, it would be paying off right now. And I think it's really important to remember that everything that we do pays off in the end. So I guess just giving myself a little bit more time would be pretty awesome. And as we wrapped up the interview, I was curious what Jasmine would have expected me to ask her during the course of this last few minutes. And interestingly enough, she was hoping that I would ask her about failures and times when things just didn't go right. 
So I asked her something along those lines. How do you deal with moments when you feel super low? I think I deal with moments when I feel super low by um I guess I would say doing some internal work. Um and sometimes that comes out as writing. Mm. So writing down how I feel and um kind of brainstorming and asking myself why I feel that way. One tip that I think is great is um the whole uh process of asking yourself five whys. Mm-hmm. So if you ask yourself why enough times you will get to the root cause of something and i think awareness is everything mm. um or other ways of changing your state would just be listening to music working out those two work for me really well personally and um and again like the rituals they really ground me so anytime i can get back to my rituals mm. have a cup of tea journal for a little bit meditate whatever it is um i'm feeling better by the end of it how do you how do you, how do you kind of work towards improving areas that you think you are not good at I'm really honest with myself and I um you know as is true with so many creatives um and as comes hand in hand with passion I can also sometimes um beat myself up over things so if I you know feel like I said the wrong thing or I made the wrong business decision or I priced something wrong I might think about it for a few days to be honest but um, and that's something I'm actively trying to get myself out of the headspace of doing um but it really does come down to mindset it really does come down to uh little things that you can do so personally um if I can get back into my ritual if I can get up and if I can go for a run if I can um you know just talk it out even and i think that's where the support group becomes so important um if i can talk it out with friends or or anybody um where we can just logically look at the situation instead of being boggled down by the details as we often are in our heads that was Jasmine Pannu an artist who's found a way to make business out of art we covered so much of ground talking about her business art and how she is doing and using her skills from corporate marketing or perhaps marketing in general to take her business to new heights she does a lot of thought provoking pieces of art and i really like her hand painted shoes so much and i really recommend you check out her instagram feed to find out more about that you can find all the links to her website instagram in the show notes that you can find at designerthinking.com/s2e15 i repeat it's s2e15 season 2 episode 15 all right now it's time for a quick trip to the future here's a preview from what's coming next week just for you for me and i think if you think about what warren buffett did and if you think about what my, bill gates did is they followed their highest excitement as simple as that is what makes you most excited what shines brightest go there and what most of us have done i use this picture of an indian man uh with his daughter in one of my keynotes when i'm speaking about the future of the workplace and the daughter says to the indian man says daddy i want to be an actor and the daddy says no you're pronouncing it wrong you mean doctor 
And so that that concept is logical thinking that our fathers and mothers have always had is that don't worry about the passion, go and get a job that's going to pay the school fees, you know, and that's a problem because that doesn't allow you to follow your highest excitement. And then the other way we make decisions is from primal desires of more, the teenage boy syndrome, which half the world's stuck in, you know, is how much more watches can I have? How many more cars can I have? How much more clothes can I have? How much? And that's just a childish way of getting recognition from the outside world. And so we have to let go of those two decision-making processes. And if you think about Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and think about Elon Musk, these people don't follow logical scenarios. They don't follow primal desires of greed. They are investing in their excitement. They're investing in what shines brightest for them. And when everybody around them is telling them they're crazy, their hearts are telling them they're right. That's an interview with John Sane, and he is a futurist and an international speaker who just a few years back was a millionaire. He lost all his money and went bankrupt. Why? What did he do that made him a millionaire in the first place and how not to go bankrupt? We get into all of that and so much more in an exciting hour-long interview. And I just can't wait for you to listen to it. And I don't want you to miss out on that. It's going to be an exciting episode. And uh, to make sure that you don't really miss out on that, hit subscribe wherever you're listening to this episode right now. No matter what podcast app you use, click subscribe. If you are listening from your computer, you should see a subscribe button right on the player or somewhere around in that page. You can type your email address and then get latest episodes right into your inbox. So if you really like today's episode and the show, I really, really appreciate you leaving a rating and review for the show on iTunes. If you are on an Apple device, you can head over directly to designyourthinking.com slash iTunes. Just type that in your browser and that will open your iTunes app and you can leave a rating and leave a review. They are two different things and I really hope you do both of them just for me so that I can take this to more people just like you. The show is also available on Spotify, Google Play and YouTube. Just type designyourthinking.com slash Spotify or designyourthinking.com slash Google Play or designyourthinking.com slash YouTube to get right there. I truly appreciate you taking the time today. And until I see you in the next episode, take care and cheers, my friend. Have a fantastic weekend.